You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is Season 2, Episode 18, and our theme is The Nature of Place in Fostering Innovation. Today, our guest is Jen Angel, the CEO of Evergreen. She's a builder of community, momentum, and places that people love. Together with partners, Jen builds inclusive, sustainable places that attract people and investment, enhance resilience, and contribute to the well-being for all. In 2021, Jen was recognized as one of Atlantic Business Magazine's top 50 CEOs and the most powerful woman in Atlantic Canada in 2022. She recently received the inaugural Wajay Winin Allyship Award in 2022 from the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center. She is a co-founder of the annual Art of City Building Conference, bringing placemaking leaders from around the world to Halifax. Jen, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here on the Onside podcast. We've been wanting to have you for a while, so welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alex. It's such a thrill to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I think we could probably start off with uh, getting to know you a little bit better. Who is Jen Angel? What are you up to? Uh, so, who is Jen Angel? Uh, <laughs> I am uh, a champion of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. I was born here, and I grew up in Dartmouth. I born at the Grace ah. uh, a thousand years ago, uh, and I have spent most of my career in Halifax. Um, I uh, I went to school here. I went to Kings, and oh. then I went to Dell, and then I went to SMU. Oh, you got them all. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a few of them anyway. Uh-huh. There's a there's a, a few left. Um, I uh, studied philosophy in my undergraduate um, and then did an MBA in marketing. Uh, and sort of along the way, uh, I worked in real estate while I was going to school. Um, my dad was involved in the industry, and so sort of my side hustle. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess you could say now uh, sort of the philosophy and the marketing and the real estate have kind of converged in the work I'm doing around place. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I lead an organization called Evergreen, uh, based in Toronto, but with a national mandate to build a better future through better public spaces. Uh, Before that, I was working with Develop Nova Scotia here in Halifax to contribute to the magnetism of Nova Scotia to attract people, um, an economic development crown corporation. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a little side question. We're going to, we're going to talk about sort of the nature of place and placemaking, but uh, how did you go from philosophy to marketing to real estate? Like how did that you yeah. know, were you like, uh, were you deep into, you know, Socrates no, or deep you know, thinker? No. Like, how did that happen? No, I, I started in philosophy with a plan to go to law school. Mm. And then at that sort of decision juncture after finishing my undergrad, I, I went business instead. And the and the real estate was sort of unrelated. Again, I sort of started working in real estate when I was pretty young because my dad was selling it and I was sort of supporting him on the side. And in the end, it sort of all came together in an unexpected way. Ah, interesting. Interesting. I'm always uh, curious about people who uh, study philosophy and kind of like the yeah. journey. Yeah. Uh, I did an undergrad in anthropology. And nice. so people are always like, anthropology? It's like one of those weird kind of... But has so many applications <laughs> beyond, right? My uh, my friends 
who are supporters of this philosophy undergrad would say it's about exercising your brain mm-hmm. uh, and has it's you know has lots of different applications as a result. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it was an interesting few years for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, having known you a bit, I feel like maybe this did Im- impact kind of your way of thinking or, or caring about things. So that's kind of interesting. Well, why don't we um, jump in a little bit because um, I'm I'm really curious about. Um, We've talked in the past and in, in, in the real world, I guess, not in the podcast, but about place and the nature of place. And you've talked a lot through your work here in Nova Scotia at Develop and uh, with your new uh, role at, uh, at Evergreen, a little bit about place. But what is placemaking? Like, what the heck does that mean for yeah. people who are in the audience who are like, OK, placemaking? I don't really get it. What is placemaking? Yeah, it's it's sort of cool these days to talk about placemaking. <laughs> it's it's really, really simple. Place is really the built environment and related program that centers people. So it, mm-hmm. it's an effort to make spaces more livable and inclusive. And I would say in my work, work harder to mm-hmm. serve the outcomes you're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and You know, for a long time, we've built infrastructure, for example, focused on automobiles. Mm -hmm. uh, And the idea of centering people in place kind of just wasn't what you did. And so the social infrastructure, things like public spaces, were the things you spent money on when there was money left over from building Mm -hmm. highways. Mm -hmm. It was sort of the soft and fluffy stuff. And there's never money left over from building highways. Mm -hmm. So it really was not prioritized. And I think now what we're recognizing is that public places, places where diverse people feel welcome to come together uh, and get to know each other, has a really critical influence on uh, how we live and who Mm -hmm. gets to participate. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say about place is that it's almost less about the thing you build Mm -hmm. and more about how you build it. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's... It's a process as much as it is an outcome, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really about bringing people together to plan together, to work through challenging conversations and problems together. And it's through that activity of working together Mm -hmm. that the real benefits emerge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting. I I, I think a few years ago, I had not even really heard that term sort of placemaking and really thinking about it. And I'm in a book club and I I guess luckily one of my book club members is an architect. Nice. And uh, we had to read Jane Jacobs. Yes. Uh, I have to tell you, that was a really hard book (laughs) to, 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 to get through. But she has a lot of um, interesting commentary on how cities are built or, you know, where roads are or the the process of involving people in the structure and the nature of the the built environment, as you kind of described it. Are there some things that have influenced your thinking about how places are made or what's what's important about how places are made? Yeah. So actually, Jane Jacobs is uh, credited with a quote that I actually have used in lots of Mm. decks over the years. And that's roughly, you can only have places for everybody when you build them with everybody. And I Mm. think 
in context, it was really talking about uh, the, the building of cities is not something that's relegated to architects mm. and mm-hmm. planners. Uh, and in fact, I mean, I think oftentimes uh, that focus is on the building mm-hmm. and the public space is sort of the negative space. It's the leftover space. Mm-hmm. And my work is really focused on centering the public space mm-hmm. and thinking of the buildings in the backdrop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you design for people first, Mm -hmm. you look at things differently. And the Project for Public Spaces, a group uh, started by Fred Kent uh, many years ago, I think he started it in in New York City, uh, has really helped to reframe how we look at uh, the public realm, the built mm. environment, and the role it plays. Uh, so, so again, I think it's about centering people mm-hmm. in infrastructure, and it's also about centering public space mm-hmm. or prioritizing public space. It's sort of a platform for democracy and for people, mm-hmm. um, as I said, all people, mm-hmm. if you do it well, uh, to come together and be able to participate. And it, and it has a very meaningful impact on how we live, how we move around, who who gets to participate, mm-hmm. you know, whether they see themselves in the environment or don't has a very meaningful impact on belonging, mm-hmm. uh, whether we're building areas that are extractive or regenerative in terms of uh, the environment and whether, yeah, and we've talked about this before too, Alex, Mm -hmm. like are there barriers to participation? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, the traditional architect or planner, uh, particularly uh, as positions of of privilege, they aren't proxies for community. And Mm -hmm. so it's the beauty of part of the beauty of placemaking is that when it's done well, and we are intentional about bringing diverse people together with different lived experiences, mm-hmm. they then get to influence the spaces that are built and can ensure that they, because they've had a hand in building mm-hmm. them, uh, they're places where they can participate and belong and really participate and belong. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm really enjoying listening to hear what you're saying. It's making me think of so many things. But I just um, when you're talking about that engagement in the public space and how that space sort of comes together, I find that really interesting. I, when I first moved to Halifax, uh, so I was living in Washington, D.C., in a city about two blocks away from a metro station. I could walk to the Smithsonian probably in like 20 nice. minutes, really kind of urban environment. Um, and when I moved to Halifax, I moved to a much more residential neighborhood and I hadn't really thought about it until we moved to our neighborhood. But I realized once I got there, I was like, oh, there's no sidewalk here. And I, you know, I was kind of new and I was like, oh, this is weird. There's like no sidewalk. I can't like walk my dog on the sidewalk. And in Washington, I was used to just walking on the sidewalk. I'd run into people or see people at the dog park or, you know, or something yeah. like that. And, um, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then I realized, oh, okay, okay there's no sidewalk. Well, well, I guess there's nowhere to walk to. I was like, oh, I can't walk to the grocery store or, you know, all of these things. And I started to become much more aware of kind of how I was living in a different place and mm-hmm. how I would interact and how would I meet people in this kind of uh, sort of new environment. And the other thing I'm hearing is uh, I, I think maybe there's been a shift. I, I certainly in the past would think about, uh, you know, architects and builders and planners and urban designers. But I, w- I would think of them as like designing the really cool building. Yeah. I didn't really think of I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing skyscraper or cool house. I hadn't really thought about the space around yeah. there where we have that intersection. So it is kind of interesting to think about or take a moment to think about how you actually 
interact in the space kind of around you. Well, and I think at this moment, as we're dealing with, for example, across the country, a crisis of homelessness Mm -hmm. and also uh, just a lack of affordable housing, we're making very large investments in housing and infrastructure. That we are thoughtful about how those investments are made, mm-hmm. that they, you know, we're building where there are amenities mm-hmm. like some of the ones you described, you know, that we're concentrating on infill in cities mm-hmm. rather than, you know, sprawl and greenfield development where those amenities don't exist and transportation may not be sufficient. I think is a really important thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a risk always with urgency, as there is around the housing issue, that we, under cover of urgency, move fast, Mm -hmm. but don't necessarily think it sufficiently through. And so part of what we're advocating is that this is exactly the moment to be thoughtful. This infrastructure we're investing in, Mm -hmm. you know, is 50-year infrastructure. um, And it has a great deal of power to shape the way we live. Mm -hmm. So let's, we know how to build better places. We know how to build Mm -hmm. uh, regenerative infrastructure. We know how to build um, uh, accessible places. Let's make sure Uh, And in a way that, again, contributes to the planet rather than Mm -hmm. contributes to the the problems that are destroying the the planet. So we need to, we have a responsibility now uh, not to choose between going fast and being thoughtful, which is a false Mm -hmm. choice, but to do both. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so well said. You know, here in Halifax, we're talking about the Cogswell interchange and the legacy that that left in terms of creating a dead zone basically in the city. And that's 50-year infrastructure, as you said. So we have to be really thinking about where we put things, how we make it accessible, what are the amenities, how are people going to live with the things that we're, we're putting up? And Halifax is growing so so quickly in the, last, is, yeah. uh, in the last few years. Well, you know, one of the things we've um, also been uh, talking about at Onside and we're thinking about because we're focused on kind of inclusive innovation and entrepreneurship and something I've been trying to think about, especially since the, the pandemic in particular, has really changed the way I think about it. And I think a lot of people think about space and where you are and where yeah. you work and live and, you know, and some of those kinds of ideas. Has the pandemic influenced the way you think about space, particularly around how we create spaces for innovation and entrepreneurs? Yeah, because um, we want want to make sure we have those drivers, those collisions, and and yeah. all those kinds of things. How does how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, I would say two things. The first is that I think it helped to show the importance of public spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, when we weren't able to gather indoors, you know, the the sidewalk, the park, you know, the public realm became a place of recreation of um, safety, safety. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, Of reprieve for many folks, like an ability to get out of Mm -hmm. uh, the house and, and get some fresh air and, you know, do the thing. So I think, I think we began to sort of, you know, it, and it also, I'll just add to that, you know, it became expanded patios for businesses who were Mm -hmm. suffering on main streets. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it became, yeah, a place to say hello and, and get to connect with the world and combat some of the social isolation mm-hmm. uh, and related mental health impacts that the that the pandemic was having. But I would say uh, sort of more broadly, I think, and, and Halifax has experienced this acutely, 
people are increasingly seeking quality of life. And with some of the technology that emerged through the pandemic, we are now much more able to work from anywhere. And when you can work from anywhere and companies and jobs follow talent, you have a lot of agency and choice as mm. an individual employee. And so I think that it's opened up for Nova Scotia and Halifax a real opportunity in that it is building on sort of a quality of life advantage that already mm. existed to attract diverse talent here and build a density of um, of talent. And I think in general, it's elevating the importance of public realm and public spaces and city building in general as a competitive advantage that can't be overlooked in a global competition for talent, which of course are the building blocks mm -hmm. of innovation and economy. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And I think that that is really uh, insightful because um, I think, you know, I, this is a few years ago. I, I remember looking at something about Iceland and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Iceland, Reykjavik, it's cold. Why Why would anybody uh, live there? Sorry, people from Iceland. I think it's a wonderful place. <laughs> uh, but they really invested in fostering their culture. So a lot of music, culture, focus on volcanoes and ice and all this kind of stuff. And then suddenly Iceland became hot, like it became this cool yeah. place and people want to go to Iceland and check it out. You can fly on uh, Iceland air and get the stopovers and these kinds of things. And so focusing on what makes you special or what's yeah. interesting for you, I think that really does drive a lot of uh, interesting talent. So, in, you know, now there's a lot of banking, finance, yeah. tech folks that are that are uh, in Iceland amongst other people who make really great sweaters, you know, because it's so cold. And here in Halifax, we have some interesting places like Volta or other kinds of kind of accelerator or tech places do you think we're doing pretty good with those places? Like, do we, is there is there anything that would help make them more attractive yeah. or inclusive from like a design kind of perspective or? I, th I think it's less about sort of, you know, is it pretty enough? Uh, and I, I'm glad you raised Iceland. And I think Copenhagen has done some interesting things mm -hmm. in regenerative tourism too, in mm -hmm. particular, which extends, frankly, to attracting people writ mm -hmm. large. Tourists are just short-term residents. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the point is people are more socially aware, I think, than they have been for a long time. And they're making decisions about places, whether to visit or to live, in part based on the leadership that's shown and mm. the types of investments made. Mm -hmm. So I would say, for example, you know, what we decide to do as it relates to climate, mm -hmm. how we how we're investing or prioritize investing in or prioritizing, you know, regenerative infrastructure, regenerative policy says a lot about the place that we are. And I think it will increasingly be clear that people will go mm -hmm. where they see leadership in these areas of social justice mm -hmm. and environmental justice. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in a way that hasn't we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I'm when I'm thinking about like a Volta or a Cove, and of mm -hmm. course, in my former role, we were involved mm -hmm. in the creation of the Center for Ocean Ventures and Entrepreneurship. I think it's about continually thinking about how to push the boundaries of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So not just the physical bricks and mortar, but also the the program that knits it together and thinking about 
how to make those things work harder mm-hmm. for more people, in particular people who have been left out before, mm-hmm. and also for the planet. Like Because every um, decision, for example, in infrastructure, the space I work in, every decision can be regenerative mm-hmm. or not. Uh, mm-hmm. And so if we're that granular and that deliberate and intentional about putting a, an environmental and a social justice lens on these very traditional infrastructure-related sectors, then I think we can have a a really meaningful impact, not only Mm -hmm. on the quality of what's built, but on its relative magnetism to attract people here, Mm -hmm. which is the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so... Well, I feel like um, pandemic notwithstanding, we we have been able to attract people over the last couple of... And I think that did have a lot to do with the way we handle things, the leadership, things that were going, things you were doing. Uh, you know, in your your previous role around creating outdoor places and spaces where people could go and spend time, whether it's waterfront. And I do think that um, we did see an influx of remote workers or people moving from Toronto, the U.S., uh, who realized we have a really good quality of life here. Things are relatively safe. And uh, I can do my banking job from Halifax and, you know, work in New York or other places like that. So I think we'll hopefully see that trend kind of continue yeah. and we'll keep creating that place that is uh, magnetic. That's what I think of. I yeah, think we're exactly. creating like a magnetic place. Yeah, Irresistible. Yeah, irresistible. Magnetic. Today it's a little cold, but... Uh, it's a little cold. A little, still magnetic. <laughs> you just have to be well apportioned with your clothing. You're, Absolutely. You're, you'll be fine. You'll no be fine. such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing, exactly. my old mentor my, used to say. My, uh, my grandmother is uh, 99 years old and wow. she says, um, a lady never makes any excuse for the weather. You just dress appropriately. I always think of that. Well said. Well said. (laughs) I feel like if she's 99, she knows what she's talking (laughs) about. She's got something. Yeah. Well, another thing we've uh, talked about in the past, um, and you've kind of alluded to it kind of in your some of your opening comments was around the role of community and how community has the opportunity to get involved or in the work that you're leading, that you're trying to create space for community to, to get involved. Can you talk a little bit about that more? And then maybe do you have an example of, um, you know, where you've seen that that work well or how it could work better? Yeah. So um, we have always built places notionally with community. So Mm -hmm. we'd host open houses as part of the process of planning for a new development and inevitably the same few mostly white, mostly male, mostly professionals would Mm -hmm. show up Mm -hmm. and they contributed a lot and if happy they came because if they didn't come it would be a very lonely open house Uh but but we would go ahead and then build a project anyway so to check the box we did the open house everybody was invited ish Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll build the thing anyway and it's not only left a lot on the table Mm -hmm. but i would even contend and i think i think if you look closely at the cities built, you know, 50 years ago or whatever, we, we were baking into the landscape particular points of view. Mm. That seems a bit esoteric, but I believe it to be true. And so talking about systemic racism, I think it has a thread in mm-hmm. the built environment. And so and so we began probably five or so years ago with my former colleagues to rethink how we did engagement. Mm-hmm. And I think it's come a long way because there's a recognition that you can't just create a spot that you're comfortable hosting Mm -hmm. and expect that it will be comfortable for others to participate there. Mm -hmm. So you need to be deliberate about meeting community where they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I would say 
we're beginning to do that better, but there's still a lot of opportunity around acknowledging that that relationship is needs to be reciprocal. It's not about sort of parachuting in uh, to community mm-hmm. when you need them mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. your on your time mm-hmm. you know scale <laughs> to to extract what they know. And this is emotional labor. And these and particularly racialized communities are being asked again mm-hmm. and again and again because all of these white people are suddenly realizing, oh my god, like people have been <laughs> left out. But it is. It has to be. It can't be an extractive relationship. It has to be reciprocal. And it requires, just like any relationship, a development of trust, uh, an ability to see some benefit to community, to participation. And that takes time and intention. And I think... I think there's still a lot of work to do, mm-hmm. but I also believe if we get it right, we will create much better places where mm-hmm. many more people will feel a sense of belonging. And when we're thinking about this in the context of innovation, again, the the sort of magic goal is that we're able to create these really diverse uh, places with really diverse people with different ideas about the world, different lived experiences. And when you talk about collisions, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, that's when they're really interesting, mm-hmm. when there's different points of view that begin to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it said that innovation is not about like a eureka moment. Mm-hmm. It's not about just a light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. It starts often with a, that's interesting, mm-hmm. like, huh. That's unusual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a greater possibility of that happening when you have things you haven't seen before or Mm -hmm. things you have looking at things in a way you haven't done before, uh, which which to my mind has to be encouraged Mm -hmm. through being with people with different experiences than you've had. Yeah. And I you know, that's something I think when the pandemic hit, we were really missing that missing that opportunity we all kind of retreated back into our silos a little bit at least in the physical world yeah in your neighborhood yeah where a lot of people like you live yeah yeah we were kind of stuck and it was uh challenging i think we 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 had to rise to the occasion that we didn't have a choice for two years to figure out how to uh how to connect kind of in a in a virtual environment but i'm i'm glad we're kind of mostly you know back in person and and trying to have those engagements and create those opportunities for collisions because I think that uh, I feel like a lot of a lot of creative energy was unleashed during the pandemic in a, in a kind of new way and yeah. I I think with our opportunity to kind of I mean I I don't know if I'm going to go into the metaverse but like <laughs> you know opportunity to be in in the real world and the virtual world and I think we'll probably start to see some some interesting kind of collisions and there were. Interestingly, opportunities for people who couldn't uh, participate otherwise, you know, if you're uh, disabled or, or things like that, when when things were virtual, made it a little bit easier. But at the same time, also not easier for people who you know don't have access to to Internet. Well, and I think social isolation mm-hmm. is a real issue. Like, I think there's a mental health crisis that's also happening. Mm-hmm. There's a crisis of eroding social capital and polarization. And again, I think if we can't solve that stuff then the, the the other stuff is impossible to solve because it's going to take mm. all of us working together. Mm-hmm. And I'm really concerned about this, you know, populism that we're beginning mm-hmm. to see, you know, polarization. It's going the wrong way. And I actually think public spaces can help solve for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would just mention when we're thinking about innovation through the pandemic and its relationship to p- public space is having worked in a Crown Corporation at that time, mm-hmm. I was really struck by how quickly 
government was mm-hmm. able to move when mm-hmm. lives depended on it. Mm-hmm. So you saw things like patios being extended and new bike lanes being created, even in it with temporary infrastructure. And these were things that never before could be done quickly, or at least mm-hmm. that was the belief. Mm-hmm. And so I really hope that I'm now not in government. Mm-hmm. I really hope that, that we don't lose that because mm-hmm. it's easy to... Um, lean back on bureaucracy mm-hmm. as a you know or complexity as a reason not to do things and we know now we've shown now mm-hmm. we can do hard things when we prioritize them mm-hmm. or maybe things aren't as hard as we think they are yeah. and we need to be prioritizing the things again that sort of center people mm. well that that's a, a perfect little segue because my next question for you was around what kind of projects are interesting to you right now? Or is, is there something that's sort of going on now that you think is really interesting in that area? Yeah, I mean, so one project at Evergreen, mm-hmm. where I am now, is thinking about school grounds as mm-hmm. underutilized public spaces mm-hmm. that can work a lot harder for community and also for the environment. So they're in every community. They're often asphalt. Sometimes they're relics of the, you know, 60s or 70s. And there's, uh, so we just launched Canada's first climate-ready school mm-hmm. in a suburb in, uh, outside of Toronto uh, at a, a school called Irma Colson. And it's, it's about rethinking uh, the possibility of mm-hmm. public space around a school Mm-hmm. to deal with stormwater runoff. So it's a sponge, basically, to maximize tree canopy so it's green right. and regenerative mm-hmm. and to introduce all sorts of nature, nature-based play mm-hmm. uh, into the grounds. And it's attractive not just to kids but to families mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. And by involving the kids in the planning, they've created the space where they see Ah, themselves. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be there for the opening day, and it was extraordinary. And it's like this outdoor, you know, green space with outdoor play equipment Mm -hmm. or whatever, but it's just, it's the thoughtfulness Mm -hmm. uh, and the intention put to the infrastructure that has changed it from what could have been, you know, a swing set on Mm on a soccer field that if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, as I did, was always a mud puddle, <laughs> in, right? Uh, just something that's actually helping to mitigate against the effects yeah. of climate change and even regenerate as well as, to use your, your language, be a magnet for community to come together. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'm just, as you're, as you're talking, I'm just reminiscing about my kids in elementary school and the, the teacher's you know, parking lot, which is like <laughs> always just like gravelly and asphalt and all that and would just like be full of puddles and holes. And then the 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 soccer field, which is basically like, I don't know what it was like, this, this pile of dirt and mud. And it was just it needed some work. Yeah. And um, but I, and I think that's really great because young people. Uh, are concerned about climate. It's a great place to get educated, have like real world experiences, get off of technology for a few minutes on the playground and reconnect with your body and your space, get good uh, mental health and physical activity. And I think that's so important, especially for for kids nowadays. They're really missing out on some of those kinds of opportunities. And again, to the sort of discussion about like eroding social capital, Mm -hmm. we need kids to work with each, we need all humans, mm-hmm. but let's let's start with kids even to work together through problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to be able to talk to each other. And I think, 
you know, social media has made it easier not to do that and to double down on, you know, extreme positions mm. in service of getting likes mm -hmm. and getting, you know, amplification of our posts and alienated some of those more, you know, balanced points of view in some cases. And I, I really do think it is the thing we should be talking more about this. Mm -hmm. How do we rebuild social capital? How do we work together? How mm -hmm. do we build create the conditions for collaboration and problem solving because we need them. Mm -hmm. Like we have a convergence of very large, very complex problems to solve. And the first step is to figure out how to get along and work together to solve them. Mm. Well, I don't know if we're going to tackle all <laughs> of those problems today or solve all of those problems, but no. I think you've, you've raised them and you've, uh, you've put the challenge out there. So hopefully our listeners are, are hearing that, uh, uh, that call. Um, last little question we like to ask kind of our, uh, our guest, and I might change it just a, a little bit because we usually ask our guests, you know, what does innovation based entrepreneurship mean to you? I might say that or is there anything around innovation based placemaking? Like what would one of those mean to you? Yeah. So when I think about innovation driven entrepreneurship, to me, it's bigger than sort of it's it's about scalability. And so I would suggest that what's scalable about place is not create a, you know, a model and then do the same thing in other places. Like it's not create a plan and then do that plan elsewhere. It's about sort of ingredients that make mm. a place great that are more generic and hyper-local. Mm. So it's like a process mm -hmm. that can be kind of codified and then used in other places. And fundamental, uh, I think, is a willingness to take risks, a deliberate and intentional uh, engagement of community, as we've just talked about, mm -hmm. including and especially communities that haven't participated before mm -hmm. or wouldn't naturally see themselves in a place. And it's an appreciation that these are this is 50-year hundred year infrastructure. So there's a huge stakes uh, mm -hmm. in getting it right. So, you know, making uh, the commitment to build infrastructure that is giving something back versus taking something away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I so I think it's more about the sort of codifying the the process to build mm -hmm. great places rather than designing something and then duplicating mm -hmm. it in other places. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Well, that is fantastic. I appreciate all your insights that you shared with us today. If, if folks want to learn more about you or your work or how, how can people connect with you and learn more? Yeah, I mean, so I'm on Twitter, but I'm, <laughs> I think I have three and a half followers or something. Uh, Jen Angel NS. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, and they can reach out to me anytime, jangel at evergreen.ca. I always love to talk to people about this work or other things that... Uh, that that others are thinking about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That sounds fantastic. And as all, thank you for joining us and uh, for our listeners. I appreciate if you could like and subscribe to our podcast, and you can also learn more about uh, Onside and our Inclusive Innovation Monitor on our website, which is onsidenow.ca. And as we come to a close, I'd really like to thank Communities, Culture, and Heritage for your support. We're so grateful for your support and helping us make this podcast. And look forward to having you uh, tune in next time. Thanks so much. Thank you, Alex. This has been a Podstarter production. production.